What is going on, everybody? Raj Golardi here with another episode of The Call to Violence. So thank you guys again for answering. Uh, we had a heavy heavyweight main event this last weekend, and we'll see that carry on into this weekend's pay-per-view. Uh, so we will start with a quick recap of uh, Derek Lewis versus Alexi Olenek, and then we will push into the preview of DC versus Deep A3. Um, had some family obligations on Saturday that kept me uh, from watching all of the fights in their entirety. So I'm just going to kind of go over the fights that I saw and, you know, what stood out to me. Um, so I'm just going to get right into things. So first up, we had Benil Darius. Uh, he stopped Scott Holtzman in round one with a spinning back fist. This extends Darius's win streak uh, to five. He has four finishes in a row with two back-to-back -back knockouts, and then it was two submissions before that. So Benil Darius is really coming into his own right now. Um, the, fight, the fight played out kind of crazy. Um, uh, it seemed once uh, Darius hit him, hit Scott with that knee, it just seemed like Scott was in uh, autopilot mode and was just kind of going with the motions. And after that knee, it seemed like Darius couldn't miss. I mean, he was just landing left hand after right hand after left hand. And then when they would clinch, it was just knee over knee and elbow. I mean, just Darius threw the kitchen sink at him. Lined up that spinning back fix perfectly as Scott was kind of charging in. And, I mean, it was just beautiful. Um, it was kind of funny to see uh, Herb Dean stop it right as Holtzman went down since he's been kind of having a tendency to let guys uh, take a beating before or get some extra shots in at least before stopping the fight. But I'm glad to see Scott didn't have to take any extra damage. Um, before, before that knee, though, um, it se kind of seemed like, you know, it was... Scott's a Scott's a really really tough guy. He's strong. He's durable, and you know he showed that. But kind of looked as if you know uh, Darius has been able to mix everything in pretty well lately. But it looked like he was kind of having a little bit of trouble in the wrestling. But the thing about Darius is when he's having trouble getting the takedown, whether he has his hands uh, having having trouble getting his hands around the hips or even the waist. Um, you know, locking his hands together, he will tend to move up and then just start firing away strikes from the clinch. So he's finding a way to be dangerous everywhere, um, whether he's in clinch or at range. Um, and it's just really exciting to see because I hate this is the one thing I hate about this game the most is that I hate once guys get up against the fence, they kind of get comfortable there just pushing up the other guy against the fence if they can hold him there. Or Darius isn't doing that. And Holtzman was doing a good job of, you know, reversing position and having good defense. So Darius had to implement something to kind of get Scott worried about something else. And, and he did it perfectly. Um, just, I mean, what a beautiful, this is two back-to-back -back finishes that are highlight reels for sure uh, for Darius. So I'm really excited to see where Darius goes from here. Um, let's see. Let's just take a quick look at that bottom top 10 at lightweight i mean above all this makes Darius uh a really exciting matchup for pretty much anybody at lightweight i mean i don't have to go on another rant about how stacked lightweight is but he first fits in perfectly against anybody at lightweight at this point um I don't know if this is completely updated, but they got Darius at 14 right now. So in front of them, they have Cerrone, which I don't know about you guys. I've, uh, UFC may keep Cerrone as this kind of like, uh, 
I don't want to say gatekeeper, even though that's pretty much what, what it's called, but I hope they don't put Cerrone in these elevation fights where they only use him to elevate the up-and-comers, which that's kind of UFC's prerogative and MO. But we got Makachev, we got Lee. Lee's going to be out for a while, and I think Dariush is probably going to want to stay active uh, with this win streak right now. So I don't think Lee's there. Makachev is there, though. Alaquinha is a great fight. Diego Ferreira is a great fight. Paul Felder's a great fight. I think Charles Oliveira is going to be looking for a guy closer to the top five, like a hooker. Hooker and Charles Oliveira. Now, that's a barn burner right there. Um, but, man, maybe Charles is just desperate for a fight, and he takes uh, he takes a Dariush fight. But, man, uh, Ferreira, Iaquinta... Felder, Oliveira, all great matchups uh, for Darius. So really, really, really excited to see where he goes from here. And, um, you know, it was only, uh, only he's had a couple of few setbacks. I know we had the Anthony Hernandez setback. He had the Edson Barboza setback. But really, really consistent at the toughest weight class in the division. So really excited to see where he goes from here. And again, dude, getting five straight, uh, five straight wins at lightweight is super, super difficult. Um, next up, not as exciting, but we had uh, Chris Weidman bounce back and get a much-needed win over Omari uh, Akhmedov. Biggest takeaway from this fight for me is that Chris Weidman is made for middleweight. Um, I know we entertain light heavyweight, and I just don't feel like that was the right move for him. And yes, he did fight, um, you know, he did fight... Um, Man, it's going to uh, run away from me. Jesus. Uh, Dominic Reyes. He fought Dominic Reyes, who arguably a lot of people will say uh, beat John Jones. Um, but, you know, that still to me is not a clear indication that he should have been up there in the first place. And I I think this, this fight definitely solidified that he is made for middleweight. Um, he definitely had to shake out the cobwebs. I know he's coming off of a long layoff and he's been down. Um, but he looked absolutely terrible in that second round. He looked good at first in that first round, but just, I mean, I, there was a serious drop off there and then he had to rebound like a champ in that third. So while he still has the veteran game to pull out wins like this, I have a couple concerns. I mean, he's definitely chinny and I'm worried that those beatings that he took, um, from that stint from, uh, Luke Rockhold up until Gagard Musasi. I, I just feel like those fights have really have hindered him a lot. Um, again, he took a beating in that Rockhold fight. He got starched by Romero, and then Musasi hurt him late in that fight as well. And I just feel like he's starting to show signs that maybe his best year, well, I mean, obviously his best years are behind him, but I, I'm just worried that Chris is going to start looking like the guy's um, you know, like the horror stories that we, you know, that we always talk about and that we've seen like BJ Penn, like Chuck Liddell and like those guys, it, it almost seems like, especially in that second round, man, in that second round, it, it looked like he saw the openings, but couldn't pull the trigger. And that's when you start getting worried for these guys is when you know, there's openings and you know, they know there's openings and they still can't capitalize. Um, that that's like that mental disconnect from all of the wear and tear just on their brain catching up with them. So, you know, I, I really don't want to see him up there against like a killer at 185. And 185 is not like, you know, when he was coming up 
you know, when he when he was the champ and when he was coming up, you know, Anderson was, you know, the boogeyman. And there really wasn't a lot between Chris and, and Anderson at that time. And then, you know, the division really started to to shake out once he fought Rockhold. You know, once once he fought Rockhold, to me, that's one of the at the time in 2015 or at the end of 2015, that was one of the best matchups ever in UFC. It was uh, the uh, Weidman was undefeated, and then Rockhold's only loss was to Vitor Belfort. And so this was really like that at that time. That was like the pinnacle. You had your two young guys entering their prime who are solidified as number one, number two, and we are going to see who legitly is the best middleweight in the world. You rarely get that. I mean, even in our sport, when the best fight the best all the time with how competitive the game is nowadays you you know even though they have the belt that may not mean that they're number one and that may not even mean the contender uh who's fighting for the belt is number two and so at that point you really got to see uh you know who who the true number one was and um and, and then at that time in the shadows you had you know, Romero coming up, you had all those guys, you know, starting to form, which is the middleweight division we see now. Excuse me, let me take a sip of water real quick. Um, I don't remember where I was initially going with that, but yeah, I just, um, I, I feel like Weidman, you know, maybe, you know, maybe a, a, since Rockhold did say he wants to come back, um, he didn't, I don't think he clarified if he's going to stay at 205 or come back down to 185, but I mean, I guess that's a solid matchup just because of the history and they never got to have their rematch and yada, yada, yada. And they're both kind of in the same spot where we don't know if they can get back to where they once were. So, I, I mean, I guess that matchup makes sense, but I mean, if not Weidman, or I mean, if not Rockhold, let's see who else is at 185. Brunson's coming off of a good win, but I don't want to see that for either guy. I don't think that does much for Brunson, and I think that's a terrible matchup for Weidman right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's going to have to fight somebody at the bottom of this 15 right now. Uh, you got Brad Tavares, Ian Heinish, Marvin Vittori, Shoeface. Um, Uri Hall's looking for a guy right now since Joel Romero just, uh, just pulled out of his fight, so maybe you reschedule... Uh, Uriah Hall and Weidman, which would also be a rematch because they fought on the regional circuit back in the day before either guy was in the UFC. So I'd like something like that. Um, I just, yeah, I don't want to see Weidman face a face a face a tough guy right away, uh, right now. Even a guy like Darren Till, definitely don't want to see that. Um, a, a positive though, a positive. Weidman needs to get back to his roots. His top game is still some of the best in the world. When he could get on top, I mean, it's so suffocating. He is so suffocating. He doesn't allow much room at all. I mean, again, I, I always uh, I always put an exclamation mark on that. You will see the best guys on the ground with their top game allow this much space in between their uh, in between the guy on bottom. I mean, whether it's passing or submissions, you will rarely ever see any space in between that uh in between them on the ground uh when transitioning or anything like that so his top game is still some of the best in the world um but yeah i'm interested to see what happens from weidman here on out 
Um, moving on to the main event, though. Derek Lewis getting a, uh, a second-round knockout over Alexi Olenek. This fight went exactly as I thought it would, and I'm so happy it did. I'm so happy neither guy got a quick finish, and you really got to see this fight play out because this is why I was so excited for this fight. Um you know, Derek looking great uh, on the feet at first, but then getting uh, Olenek getting that, or I think he took him down, and then Olenek got that sweep from half guard, uh, ended up getting on top, and then put Derek in a lot of trouble with his, you know, his famous scarf hold. But if you go back, go back and look at uh, Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson was was taking uh, Derek Lewis down, kind of at will against the fence. But then couldn't keep him there because Derek was so big and Roy had such a big gut that he couldn't keep him. He couldn't keep him immobilized on the ground, which is kind of what you saw here with Olenek. It's he couldn't get the leverage to get that squeeze in because Derek is so big, which I kind of thought would be an issue unless Olenek got his back. Um, but then you know Derek rode it out, ended up getting up, and then just went off like a bomb in that second round and knocked out Olenek. So I think this kind of showed the best of both guys. Um, Could have been really dangerous for Derek, especially on the bottom there in that first round, but pulled it out like a savage. And my biggest takeaways from this fight are not even what happened in the fight, but Derek's... um, headspace coming out of it after he you know after he spoke on the mic in the press conference uh he just got a knee surgery and he said that his knee was actually affecting a lot of his back issues which were keeping which were making him kind of fight out of shape and so uh his mindset come now is that you know i i need time in order to get into shape and get my body weight down so i can be more effective in the cage and I love hearing this from him because I kind of thought after he got to the pinnacle and after he got that fight against DC and it, you know, he worked his ass off and, you know, it didn't, you know, he ended up getting, out, you know, he got outperformed by Daniel Cormier, which is, you know, one of the best fighters in history. And I kind of thought, you know, he was going to take that as, hey, I got all the way to the top. I wasn't good enough to be the best. So now I'm just going to half-ass it and take paychecks because I have a name and I have a right hand and I'm, you know, I'm exciting so I can get paid based off of those three components. But no, he said, F all that. Um, I'm still competitive. I can still hurt a lot of these guys. And I want to go out there and show, uh, show the fans the best Derek Lewis that I can, which is what every fan wants to see and wants to hear. Um, so I'm really excited to see that. I'm really excited to see where Derek goes from here. Um, you know, he called out Overeem, and then you know he said uh, um, Curtis Blades makes sense for him. Man, I hope they don't give him that Curtis Blades fight. I love Derek Lewis a lot. You can't. You like. I'm sorry. You're not a fight fan if you're not rooting for uh, if you're not rooting for Derek Lewis. But that Curtis Blades fight is all wrong for him. Um, I. Heavyweight's just up in the air right now because we don't know what's going to happen with DC and with Stipe. We don't know if, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we don't know what's going to happen either way. DC or uh, Stipe could win and he could still retire the belt. I don't even know. I I, I just don't know what's going to happen at heavyweight after this Saturday. And so everything's up in the air. And so if, if, if Lewis's, if Lewis's goal is to get to another title shot, which I, I really don't know what it is, but if you're not in this game to be the champ, you know, you shouldn't be here. But Lewis is in a different position to where he's such a star, where he can just have really exciting matchups at heavyweight and have a great career. Um, 
So I, I don't I don't know what his aspirations are, but if it is get to a title shot, unfortunately for me, he does have to fight Blades, which I just feel is all wrong for him. I mean, Blades is really coming into his own on the feet and, on, I mean, obviously his wrestling. Um, Luce is always dangerous, and he's showed uh, wrestlers before that, hey, if you sleep on me and just try and take me down all the time and you end up getting a little bit winded, I'm going to take your head off. Um I really like that Overeem fight. I just, uh, and, and Overeem usually doesn't shit talk people, but he was calling Derek Lewis easy money, and I'm sorry. He may be fat. He may, you know, not look the part, but Overeem, you're chinny, and that's not the best matchup for you. Uh, yeah, technically it is if we're going, you know, resume versus resume and technique for te- technique, but man, I mean, if anybody's going to knock your head off, it's going to be Lewis. Um, so I would really like that. I also like the winner of JDS versus Rosenstruck, which happens this weekend as well. Um, so I'd actually like to, and you know, uh, Lewis has gotten stopped by JDS. I think that I, I want to say Lewis had like a semi-retirement after the first JDS fight. I think that was like at the peak of his back issues. And so I would love for them to uh, replay or run that back. I would love Rosenstruck if you know he ends up getting the win over JDS. And I know it's it's you know we're we're playing pickums uh, or we're doing stylistic matchups there, but I feel like those are a lot better for for Lewis that, than a Blades fight. Um, moving on to this weekend though, um, this card has kind of taken some hits left and right just from COVID and and from some injuries. Let me pull up the card here real quick, real 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 quick. Oh man, one second, guys. Okay, so you know, um, the top three fights are you know really what's everyone's tuning in for. Uh, real quick on the on the early prelims, we got Herbert Burns. He's coming off of that crazy finish over Evan Dunham. He's taking on Daniel Pineda, so that's must watch. Phyllis Herrig is making her return, so make sure you turn into that. Uh, Jim Miller is making a quick turnaround after his win over Roosevelt Roberts, I believe. Let me just double check that. I don't want to be talking out of my butt here. I am right. That was a sick armbar he grabbed off of him, and he's uh, returning against Vic Pitchell, which is a great matchup. Two guys long in the tooth. Pitchell, however, though, only got two losses in the UFC and is really consistent, so we'll kind of see what happens here with those guys. Um, But real quick, I just want to talk about the three main fights on the card so we got uh starting off with uh jds and rosenstruck i have no idea how this is going to go it's a heavyweight barn burner both guys i mean come in with a lot of power uh jds you know long in the tooth been in wars i don't want to say he's in the same position as weidman but i i I think he's getting there he's taken a lot of damages in in his career and I think the UFC is going to keep giving him matchups like this where it's just, you know, bomb for bomb. Um, you know, I this is like a coin flip. I, I really don't know which way this is going to go. Either guy can get the knockout here. I want to say... And then on the flip side, too, Rosenstrike, you know, he got flattened dead by Ngannou in May. And it's August. And I never, never think it's a good idea coming uh, rebounding off of a, a knockout loss like that this quick. And so will he be chinny? I don't know. Uh, I'm, I would bet money on it. So to me, this, this is a coin flip. I, I, I mean, I would break this down technique for technique and yada, 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 but 
to me with how with both with Junior Dos Santos being as long as his career as he is, and then Rosenstruck coming in off of that quick, quick knockout from Nganu. I don't know what's going to happen. And to me, there's no point in breaking down all the little intricacies because it's a coin flip. But we got a bantamweight uh, co-main event here. And I think Sean O'Malley has really talked himself into this spot because I think JDS and Rosenstruck was originally the co-main event. But I think with all of the push, O'Malley... I don't even want to say push. With all of the push uh, Sean has given himself um, between his kind of you know shit talking to everybody else in the division to his t-shirt sales to just everything he's pushed himself into this co-main event that usually i think was originally the card opener and this is a serious test for him i've been a fan of marlon vera since the get this has been what marlon vera is one of these guys who is i want to say one of the first guys so for those of you guys who don't know UFC used to be, I mean, it still is the pinnacle, but when I when I reference the pinnacle, I want to say guys had to make their name and make their mark outside of the UFC before coming into the UFC. Now, UFC, because of all of the competition and how many shows they have, they're more, uh, they're, they're more able to build guys from the bottom up. And so Marlon Vera has been one of these guys just in the shadows at 135 and 145. He's, I think he's fluctuated from 135 and 145, but mainly at 135. Um, and has just kind of, you know, done the roller coaster down there, but has really come into his own as of late. He is coming off of a loss to Song Yadong, but I think most people, I mean, I thought he won. Everybody I watched the fight with thought he won, and I think a majority of people online thought Marlon Vera won. And I think this is a perfect matchup for Sean o- I mean, it's a perfect matchup for each other. And these guys have been definitely trading barbs, but I think if Sean looks great here, it's off to the races for him. I think UFC gives him a new contract with what is what Sean wants, and I think he gets put right in there with a top five, even top three guy after this. Stylistically, though, this is perfect. So you have Sean O'Malley, who switches stances a lot, needs to be at range, hits you with that timing um, and that accuracy, you know, uh, where Marlon Vera, he's, you know, push forward, he takes shots to give shots, and he smothers you with his Muay Thai. Marlon Vera's Muay Thai is some of the best at 135 pounds. But my issue with Marlon here is that he, again, does take a lot of shots. And, yeah, he's been able to eat Lineker's, who definitely has way more power than O'Malley. But... When you know the shots are coming and you 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 brace for them, you know it's easier to even though they may hurt, it, it's easier to take them and they don't shut your lights off. Sean has that where it's it's timing and it's the shot you don't see coming. And I don't want to compare him to Connor, but it's like Connor, you know, Connor may not have the best like just single one shot knockout power, but it's that timing that he can hit you with 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 that can shut you off uh, with one shot. Um, so it's just crazy. I have no idea what's going to happen. Sean's a really, really big favorite here. But you guys, if you guys aren't familiar with Marlon, Marlon's going to make this a dogfight for as long as it lasts. Uh, if if Marlon goes in there and he takes Sean's best shots early and keeps pushing forward, O'Malley's in for a long night. Um, I, I'm really, really, re- I mean, besides the main event, I'm really looking forward to this fight. Both guys have a lot to prove in this fight. 
Um, trying to think any of intricacies that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, you know, I, I just feel like Marlon's really gonna have to push, 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 and and keep this fight close. And Sean's no Sean's no uh, no slouch on the ground, but neither is Marlon. Let's see. I think Marlon might have more. Yeah, he's got more submission wins than he than he does knockouts. I mean, he's. Uh, I mean, he, I think he has a, a armbar off of his back uh, from Brian Kelleher. Yeah, he does. Um, let's see who else has he. Uh, yeah, I mean, dude, he's just as consistent with submissions as he is with, uh, as he is with knockouts. So I'm really excited for that. If you guys can make sure you guys watch that fight. And if you guys have time, go back and watch some of Marlon's older fights, his fights with, uh, Frankie signs. Um, what were other, some good, I just said, uh, Brad Pickett, Brian Kelleher, even his loss to John Lineker. Uh, this is no dude to sleep on. No dude to sleep on at all um and if o'malley can get a win here uh it's off to the races uh i mean it, it's big time for sean uh so again really excited for that too but then in our main event um one second i want to take some time uh and really articulate this because this isn't just another main event this really is the culmination of an era um, for heavyweight fighters. Now, I want to break this up into two separate... I want to break this up between the legacy of this fight and like the actual fight itself. So uh, I'm going to go into the fight itself first. So I think if you go back and you watch these two fights, you may think the first fight, there's not a lot, of, lot to learn from, but there is. Um, Cormier inside, if you go back, I mean, even in his Bigfoot win, if you look, he can create a lot of power from a short distance. He doesn't have knockouts from from range, which is where he was hitting Stipe from in the second fight. And it was looking like DC was just going to outstrike him with volume the whole time. But, you know, he kind of gassed and then Stipe took over late. But again, in that first fight, just clips him with that short right hand as he pushed him into it, breaking off of the clinch with that underhook. Um, and again, did the same thing to Bigfoot with the uppercuts. So if DC has been heavy in saying that, you know, he's going to do a lot more wrestling in this fight. And he's pretty much just said, I'm just going to go back to my roots and wrestle, 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 wrestle. And I think that's a lot of gamesmanship because to get into the kind of shape to just do a wrestling heavy um, game plan like that, I, I don't think that's in DC's favor. He's he's he was coming in off the couch for this fight. He had to get into shape. It's not like he was in shape and then went into camp. He really had to get his weight down. Um, you know, he's forty two. I think he's forty two years old now. Um, and so I, I I think that's a I think that's some head games being played by DC. Um, to get Stipe worried about the takedown so much, but I, I I mean I'm not saying he's just gonna go out there and box like he did in the first or in the second fight, but I do think he's gonna mix it up a lot more. I think he is gonna look to stay close, get those short clinch strikes off, and then shoot takedowns. But I don't think he's just gonna be spamming doubles and well he doesn't spam doubles, but singles uh like like he's saying he's gonna be. But DC really does need to be a, an MMA fighter here. He needs to mix everything up well and keep Stipe guessing and on his back foot. Both of those fights showed what both guys need to do. DC needs to keep it close, clinch strike, takedown. 
and Steve Bay needs to keep it at range where he can get his ones and twos off. I mean, both those fights laid out the game plans for both guys. I, I don't see, I, I mean, and both guys are at the point in their career where they're not really showing any new wrinkles. They're just getting better and maintaining what they're good at. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I don't see anything new. I can't imagine anything new being shown between these two guys in this fight. Um, uh, and yeah, as far as, as in the fight, yeah, it's just going to be, Stipe is going to have to keep it at range. I mean, that's where his power is. That's where his best work is. His body shots, uh, his take, you know, and, 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 and when it goes late, I feel like if this fight does go late, that's where Stipe is going to start taking over because he will be the lighter guy with better cardio and he'll be able to put it on DC like he did in the last fight. Um, and so that's just kind of my, that's my layman's, you know, breakdown of technically what will happen. If you guys want some really, really good technical, uh, you know, breakdown of this fight, you probably have to go talk to, or go listen to Luke Thomas or Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy does great breakdowns with his war room, uh, with the reptile. Um, I forget what his, his channel's called, but it's like the reptile room or something like that. Um, but as far as legacy, this fight is getting built, which is really what I want to talk about. This fight is getting billed as who will go down as the greatest of all time. And I just can't get behind that. I just, and, and I'm a DC Mark, uh, you know, born and raised at San Jose. Uh, you know, that, that I want DC to retire the belt in San Jose. There, I would love nothing more. I was so, the last time I got super emotional about a fight was when Stipe knocked out DC in that fourth one. I was like, man, there goes another belt taken away from, uh, from AKA. However, I DC is one of the greatest fighters of all time, regardless of who wins on Saturday. He's already cemented that. But that doesn't mean he's the greatest heavyweight of all time or should even be. Is he one of the greatest heavyweights? Yeah. Is he the greatest of all time? No. Even with the win over Stipe, I don't, I don't believe it puts him there. Does Stipe have a, um, a warrant for that if he wins on Saturday? Hell yes. I mean, I just want to compare their records real quick, and then we'll kind of break down everything else from there. But let's look at this. Okay. Stipe in the UFC. Uh, I'm just going to talk about big names who have been close to the to close to, or to have a title. So we got Roy Nelson. Um, I don't think, yeah, he never fought for a title, but always was there. And Roy's definitely fought the best in the world. And you cannot fight me on that. Gabriel Gonzaga, former title challenger has fought nothing but the best guys in the world. Okay. He lost to JDS and that was a super, super close fight. And a lot of people thought he won that fight. He then stopped Mark Hunt. Excuse me. And this is where Stipe began his run. Excuse me again. Sorry. I chugged a lot of coffee before this, as you guys can tell. Um, so stop Mark Hunt, uh, stopped Andre Ovlosky first round. Okay, here, here, let me break this down like this. Uh, Andre Ovlosky, first round knockout. Fabricio Verdum, first round knockout. Alistair Overeem, first round knockout. JDS in their rematch for the belt, first round knockout. And then went five long, uh, five hard rounds with Francis Ngannou. Right there, that is warranted for a conversation of the best of all time. Andre Ovlosky, former champ. Fabricio Verdum was the champ, and he took that belt away from him. Alistair Overeem is one of the most decorated heavyweights in all of MMA. Junior Dos Santos, again, former heavyweight champ. So for me, Stipe 
bar none. Oh, and then obviously has the win over DC as well. So uh, with or without Saturday. So right there, that is a resume for greatest of all time. DC, however, okay, we're talking about just at heavyweight. In Strike Force, he had the Bigfoot Silva, uh, you know, big shocker, and then he went on and beat Barnett. So, and and okay, and a lot of people discredit the the Bigfoot win for DC, but you you guys can't do that because at the time, Bigfoot had just come off of the he had beat Andre Arlovski and then uh, Fedor just pummeled Fedor, and this was when Bigfoot was Bigfoot. This is TRT to the gills. I'm gonna smash your face in Bigfoot. Uh, and then beat Josh Barnett, who's a former UFC heavyweight champion and was one of the best uh, heavyweights outside of the UFC. He then fights Deion Starring, which who cares? But then fights Frank Mir, former champ, has the win over Roy Nelson, which we already went over, and then drops to 205 so Cain Velasquez could go get his belt back. So then he has that stint at 205 and then goes up. And, you know, beats Stipe, beats Lewis, and then loses to Stipe. So, to me, does he have the record, or does he have a, a legacy of one of the best mixed martial artists of all time? Of course. His run, both at heavyweight and at 205, solidify that. I mean, he's got wins over, two wins over Anthony Johnson, a win over Anderson Silva, a win over Gustafson, a win over Dan Henderson, and so forth. So, yeah, does he have one of the best resumes of all time? Of course, but at heavyweight, greatest of all time, not a fucking chance. Don't give me that crap. I'm over it. UFC has to promote this fight however they have to because legitimately DC and Stipe don't really sell all that well together or by themselves. They always need uh, a better A-side in order to get you know big numbers. Um so promote this however you want, and you know DC is UFC's boy. He's always come through for them. He is the quintessential company man. But no, get out of here with this greatest of all time talk. And we don't even really know what's gonna happen, even if Stipe wins. If Stipe wins, he could ride off into the sunset too. He's got a lot of nagging injuries, and I, you know, I just I don't know what he's gonna want to do after. So. You know, I'm just torn with this fight. I really don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen after. I don't know who, you know, everyone is pumping up Francis Ngannou to be the future. And he's kind of like the rightful number one once DC and Stipe figure out their stuff. But, um, and now there's a lot of speculation that, you know, Jones is going to get a, you know, a title shot with whoever wins after this weekend. But I don't know. We will see. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of being down on this whole thing, but it's just, it's left a sour taste in my mouth. You know, these, these guys have fought once a year for the last three years. So we had DC Stipe one in 2018, DC Stipe two, uh, in 2019, all in the summertime. So the first one was in July. The second one was last August. And now here we are in August again with the third one. And, um, I don't know. So I think, yeah, this is. I think so. This will be yeah. So Stipe's fought his last three fights have all been DC uh, in the last three years. So I just I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm hoping we get some clarity after this weekend, and like I hope we know right in the press conference what's going to happen next. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, that's all I got for this episode. So make sure you guys tune in on Saturday and witness history. Um, regardless of what happens, it is history. And as always, make sure you guys catch the show next week for more violence banter as we will recap uh, the big heavyweight showdown. But until then, I'm Raj Gilardi signing off. Peace.